Hey everybody, get ready for short and sweet parenting tips. This is the last episode in the series, A Warning Label for Your Kid's Cell Phone. Phew, I know this was a long one, but it was necessary to cover this subject in so much depth because it's vital to arm you with as much helpful information as possible in order for you to successfully parent this digital generation. Cell phone use by our kids is an emotionally charged topic for them and, at least for my part, an unpredictable force in my child's life that I constantly have to adapt and overcome. In part 3a, we covered the undeniable science behind why social media is as addictive as gambling, drugs, or alcohol. If you won't take my word for it, please go have a listen to part 3a about social media. For me personally, researching how psychology relates to social media was so eye-opening. Whatever you do though, please don't hide your head in the sand because I feel like my husband and I kind of did that at the beginning. At the start, we really wanted to trust our kid to police herself. Then when that wasn't working, being actively engaged seemed really overwhelming, not to mention time-consuming. It took a while for us to commit to taking the time to set controls into place and being intentional about following through. Parental control apps are essential to allow parents to effectively and efficiently monitor and limit their kids' cell phone use. If you missed this info, please take a listen to part two of this series. All that being said, my teenage daughter does not have social media accounts. The lure of incoming texts is bad enough already. I know she misses out and it's hard for her to think about her friends freely communicating on their social media accounts and gamer chat sites, which we'll talk about those in a little bit. But my husband and I decided that we just can't justify exposing our daughter to the content and pictures that I see her friends posting. Yes, I get a sampling of what they post thanks to my parental control apps. I know my daughter's friends are good kids too. Social media just must be some distortion of groupthink. Actually, what about this analogy? If peer pressure and groupthink had a mutant baby, it would be social media. (laughs) Okay, just trying to lighten things up there a little bit. Even while our daughter doesn't have her own social media accounts and we have parental control apps, there's still a possibility she might be exposed to social media and inappropriate content by friends who do have access to it. When I've heard about what my older daughter has watched at her friend's house, it was hard to believe that the friend's parents actually knew what their child was watching or doing online. When I talk to the parents about it, I see that they really do intend to be careful and cautious. But as we've discussed, it's difficult and time-consuming to be as vigilant as this requires. As a result, though, I've learned that I have to be specific with my kids' boundaries to the other parents, my own child, and often their friend. I let parents know my rules about my kid not having their phone at night and what rating of shows and programs I'm okay with them watching. I let my kid know the limitations of what is okay to watch and participate in. Plus, I make a habit of developing rapport with my teenager's friends so they respect my limitations too, at least while my daughter's with them. When these kids get together though, do I think they push the boundaries? Oh yeah, I'm certain of it. (laughs) But I feel like they're staying away from the most destructive and concerning items because of the upfront conversation and expectations. I also make a real effort not to speak to my daughter or her friends in a patronizing, judgmental, or bossy way. 
How often I succeed at that though, I'm not sure. Based on the evidence and science behind how addicting messaging and social media is, you can understand how difficult it would be for kids to police themselves, despite their guarantees to the contrary, and no matter how well-intentioned they are. We know from experience that if we let our teenager keep her phone overnight with no parental controls, we can expect her to use her phone, and more times than not to access things she really shouldn't. I can tell you the majority of her teenage friends are on their phones until the wee hours of the morning, so allowing her to monitor herself and resist that temptation would require more self-control than an average adult has. But graphic and explicit content can be accessed in other ways besides social media, as I'm sure we are all aware of. Just a simple Google search with certain words can bring up images that a kid can never unsee. I know I've already mentioned Pinterest, but popular gamer chat sites also give easy access to incredibly inappropriate material. Normally, the age limit is 13 and over, but there are individual servers that are rated mature or 18 and older. Servers, by the way, are topic-based collaborations hosted independently by members. They're like a separate group chat. I appreciate that they have ratings on these, and if you try to visit one of the servers, yes, an alert comes up to say the content is for 18 and older. But even when you select that you're under 18, it still allows you to enter the server and view all the content. Unfortunately, I found that parental control apps can't always monitor the individual servers, which to me makes gamer chat sites an even more dangerous risk. So that's one danger I wanted to point out, but I would be remiss if I didn't cover another even more serious topic. Before we dive into it, though, I need to psych myself up for this. <laughs> like, when you're standing on the edge of the deep end of a cold swimming pool, you know it's probably pretty deep, and now that you think about it, you're not even sure you really want to go in. But now everyone's watching you, and then you start wondering, maybe your swimsuit's riding up weird. So, the only thing to really do is jump right in. Sorry, I just had to lighten things up a little before talking about the crazy number of adults who prey on kids through social media. There is no data on this because there's absolutely no way to accurately track numbers here. But adults using social media to prey on kids happens much more often than we parents would even want to imagine. I'll post a link to a related article on the Short and Sweet Tips Facebook page. Strangers can easily use a social chat platform to message your child and strike up a seemingly harmless combo using a profile picture of a teenager. But it does not mean that the person on the other end is someone your kid's age. I feel like our kids take for granted that online people are who they say they are. Kids have no idea that this isn't a fellow teen wanting to chat and hang out. What I'm saying is that your kid will not realize it's a trap until it's too late. That's why parents have to be aware and extra vigilant about this. You also want to keep open communication with your kid and make a special effort to give them a sympathetic ear so they aren't easy prey to a stranger who seems so compassionate and understanding. My Safe Harbor episode number 10 covers ways parents can develop this type of relationship with their kids. For now, let me explain further by giving you an example of how an online predator works. Just so you know, this person can be male or female, 
And sometimes women don't even pretend they're a teenager. So once the predator identifies your child and can contact them, they research your kid through what your child and their friends post on social media. They build your child's trust by using this information to relate to them and make a connection. They offer your kid a sympathetic ear and a virtual shoulder to cry on. This methodology, known as grooming, lures your kid into divulging private or secret information. I can't stress enough that your kid will not clue into this. I've seen older teens take it for granted that these strange requests come from other kids their age. After an extensive and possibly lengthy grooming process, during which the adult builds massive rapport with your kid, they may ask your kid to send them inappropriate pictures. These secrets and pictures can be used as leverage against your kid, and the predator will threaten to release this private information or images to the child's parents or their school or maybe even their church. By then, this predator also knows your address, either directly or indirectly, and may even threaten family members, including younger siblings and even pets. And it just spirals down from there. These adults are pros, and it's a very lucrative business because even without ever meeting your kid, they can distribute those photos online and exploit your child. I don't know about you, but this is making me nauseous and I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this. As a parent, it scares me how online predators twist the capabilities of social media to exploit and traffic underage kids. Just to throw out a statistic here, the average age entering the sex trade, male and female, is 12 to 14 years old. That means for every 18-year-old, there is a 7-year-old. Seven. That's a second grader. Can I just let that sink in for a moment? I will cover human trafficking more during my series on tough topics. I can't say this enough though. My goal isn't to scare you, but to give you information to navigate your way through this tough road of monitoring and limiting your kid's cell phone use. Much of what I've learned while prepping for this cell phone series was completely new to me, and it doesn't seem to be common knowledge among parents I know. I hope this information helps you stop to think like it did to me. Knowing this, my husband and I decided that being lenient with our kids' cell phone use is not worth the risk to their well-being, even if they don't fall prey to the dangers we discussed at the end of this episode. Okay, oh, take a deep breath with me. We made it through. Maybe go burn a nice candle to reset your mood a little, or take a walk outside and soak in the freedom and fresh air. I know I need to do something like that now too. So we're signing off for this week on short and sweet parenting tips. Come back next week for an episode on managing your kid babysitting themselves or siblings. I promise we'll change gears and have a lot of lighthearted episodes after this. As always, we're fresh ideas in bite-sized portions.